Hello there and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is the show where you get to hear all of my favorite radio shows. And occasionally they become your favorite radio shows. Hopefully always become your favorite radio shows. Because I select the very best ones from the golden age of radio and present them to you in sparkling, wonderful sound quality, usually. Uh, (laughs) All right, we are... um, Midway or slightly over halfway, uh, speaking with the man of a thousand voices from the land down under, Mr. Keith Scott, who is a expert. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, there he is. He is an expert on vintage uh, cartoons, cartoon voices, and how they relate to vintage radio. And for those of you who've heard the, the previous broadcasts, you can tell that uh, Keith Scott's knowledge is really deep on this stuff, quite a bit deeper than mine, which is good because you get a new perspective of things that I would have never been able to tell you about. Uh, And Keith is really great at telling you. So wonderful. Welcome to the good old days of radio again, Keith Scott. Thank you. Thank you, John. (laughs) It's great to be back again. Okay. Well, before we talk about Fibbermingy and Molly, we have had you on now for, I guess, five or six episodes of the good old days of radio Uh show. And not once have I asked you about your own career. I've talked a little bit about it and all of that, but I think that it would be good to let our listeners know from whence all this sprang, so to speak. We're in the United States. We don't, we don't normally, too many people don't get the opportunity. I have had the opportunity, but too many people don't get the opportunity to fly down to Australia and see you in action anywhere. And you have sure. been involved in some Hollywood productions over here. So why don't you uh, take a bit of a time here and, and tell us about all this stuff that you do? Well, it, it's, it really began as a kid because I was just one of these. Uh, we, we got a lot of American television when TV first came to Australia in 56. We were like eight years behind the U.S. Uh, to get television. But uh, it uh, immediately was uh, a haven for all of the great, you know, old TV shows that I uh, fell in love with from day one. And, you know, as a young six-year-old watching uh, my first TV, I um, just had a bent for old-time showbiz from the earliest age I can remember. And uh, uh, especially the cartoons that were made for TV by Hanna-Barbera, like, you know, Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear. And my I even at that age, I found that my um, attention was being drawn to voices. Like everyone who does uh, mimicry, uh, we all have that in common. I think we, we just have this fascination with the range of the human voice. And uh, I particularly uh, loved Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons. Uh, they were very satirical. And I didn't get some of the jokes in the early days that my mother was laughing at, but uh, later on I did because it worked on two levels. So I I, uh, kept maintaining this interest all through high school and started writing to some of the names I saw on the credits, like uh, Doss Butler, who was the voice of, you know, Yogi Bear and uh, all of these great characters, and June Foray, the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. And I amazingly, I got answers from them. And... uh, and by sheer coincidence, or maybe it was all meant to happen, I won a trip to Hollywood when I was 19 in a just a name these movies contest because I, I had fallen in love with uh, all the old character actors in old movies. And so I, I, I immediately uh, went to see all my contacts that I'd been writing to um, at J. Ward Productions where they did the Bullwinkle cartoons. And I met 
Skip Craig, who worked there as the film editor, but was one of the leading old-time radio collectors. And I'd already seen that they had this this store that they'd opened called Dudley Do-Right's Emporium on Sunset Boulevard, and uh, couldn't wait to get there. And and that in the catalogue they they sold old-time radio shows. Uh, featuring all of the great actors from Hollywood. This was the blurb that they had. And uh, then, of course, I had found out that um, some of my favourites, like I got on really well with Skip Craig. He could tell about my enthusiasm because he had been as enthusiastic when he was 19 years old uh, about the Spike Jones City Slickers band. And, and uh, like a dream come true for him, he ended up uh, joining the band. And... Um, same same with me. He um, got me started, really. Uh, he, I met everyone at the uh, studio, and they they listened to me doing my voices, however bad they probably were when I was a young kid. But uh, um, they were very sympathetic, and uh, and Skip started giving me all these uh, old radio shows on cassettes, I think, to start with, and then he could tell I was serious, so he started doing reel-to-reel. You know, we're talking old-time technology here, of course. And... Uh, he gave me all of the episodes of the Stan Freeberg show and the Mel Blanc show and uh, all of these things uh, that he knew I loved cartoon character voices. He found several shows for me with the Jay Ward actors that were uh, a couple of the ones that we've played already on this series. Uh, the Escape Ancient Sorceries was one that he um, gave me for uh, the voices of Paul Fries and Bill Conrad. So this was how it all began. And meantime, in Australia, I managed to start doing voiceovers for a career because I'd worked uh, just before my trip to Hollywood at the new Australian wing of Hanna-Barbera Productions. And the great Bill Hanna was out in Australia for six months setting it all up. So I took my letters from Doss Butler, his chief voice man, in to see him and uh, he gave me a job working around the animation studio, and then he wrote a letter about my demo tape, and it got me an agent because, you know, Bill Hanna had a very credible name. Hanna sure, Barbera was a giant, sure. world, yeah, giant worldwide, worldwide known person. Exactly. So that's how it all began for me. And then little by little, I just uh, ended up uh, having a long career doing all these crazy voices on commercials and cartoons made down in Australia for uh, home consumption. And eventually, with my contacts over the years, I kept coming flying to America every year to, to keep feeding my research interest in all these old old radio actors and, and cartoons. And uh, that is one of those uh, lifelong pursuits that's remained to this day. So it's been like, a, a, I guess you could say, a 50-year study of all of this stuff. And uh, eventually that got me um, a credibility factor with the Jay Ward people. And they pushed for me to be the, the narrator of the Disney-released George of the Jungle movie, where I did a kind of a hybrid Paul Freeze and Gary Owens voice as the narrator. You know, Mighty George is... Swinging through the jungle, he is swift, he is strong, he is sure. And then he crashes into a tree. He is unconscious. <laughs> and then later on, the, they they got me to do the voice of yes, the great Bullwinkle J. Moose, one of the most beloved cartoon stars of them all. <laughs> and uh, and I also did the narrator in that movie, uh, uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. Um, which was Bill Conrad, you know, who had done the old cartoons. And I knew Bill Conrad from when I wrote the book about the studio. Uh, this is, uh, I'm giving too much information here because I'm forgetting No, things, no, that's but, uh... fine. That's what we wanted. So <laughs> keep going. So, 
but that that's pretty much uh, is is a, a summation of of uh, the passion for behind it all that, that i think sometimes when people have strange little showbiz careers that are behind the scenes most of the time uh you know doing voices it is always a strange uh, history of how you got to where you got but along with that i also had spent the entire 50 years as well doing it was almost like a Jekyll Hyde thing. I had a secondary career of doing standing up on stage and being an impressionist, doing all these voice impersonations. The same as in America, of course, uh, you know, Rich Little and David Fry and Will Jordan, John Biner, all these uh, these great um, stand-up impressionist voice uh, imitators. So I've I've done that, and I've uh, and really when I, when I think about it, even the great radio actors like Doris Butler and Paul Fries had begun as stand-up impressionists in vaudeville, you know, back in uh, in the uh, late 1930s. So there is that connection too. So uh, that that kind of explains this this uh, mania I have for doing all okay. of this stuff and my 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 respect and love of the old-time radio actors because uh, collecting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows over many many years well, thousands, really, I, I got to listen to the same radio actors that you've listened to many, many times. And I, I even learned oddball things like uh, the great Doris Butler, who was truly, I think, the first great TV cartoon voiceman and had done 10 years of radio before. He was the regular on the Stan Freeberg show every week. Even he was like me. He said when he first came to Hollywood... His idols in radio acting were Joe Kearns, the voice of uh, suspense, you know, the man in black, and uh, the great British um, American actor Ben Wright, who, uh, of course, you know, ended up on those um, latter day Sherlock Holmes releases that you guys worked on uh, uh, for Simon and Schuster, uh, doing some introductions. So, uh, there's all these connections that stay, uh, you know, like a like a long link all through the decades, and it's uh, it's just been a a really great trip, as they say. When you did the Rocky and Bullwinkle film for Universal, this was, what, right. 1999 or so? That's when we shot it, and it was released the following year, yeah. Okay. Did you actually come to America and go and do yes. this at Universal then? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, well, I came to America to do George of the Jungle, but that was purely a, a narration job. So they had, they had me um, going to the Disney studio in, in uh, Burbank to do that on the same soundstage that a lot of Disney features were recorded. So that was my little sense of history there. And But with the Bullwinkle movie, it was a different thing. It was a, you know, the, the characters were, were in this new technology, which was in the early stages of CGI. So, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle and, and the other cartoon characters were going to interact with the live actors, but uh, the technology was then that uh, it would take months before that was all ready. So... They'd had a precedent set with the Roger Rabbit movie where a comic called Charlie Fleischer had travelled with the movie doing the voice off stage. And I think um, they they immediately thought, well, let's get this guy, seeing as we've cast him as Bullwinkle and a few other characters in the movie. I, I Like when, when you saw Boris and Fearless Leader in animation before they became Robert De Niro and Jason Alexander, uh, I did their voices too. So uh, they had me... Um, traveling with the film, which ended up being a, a six-month-long shoot. So I was living in L.A. Uh, and traveling with the whole company every day, 
to locations and they'd have me, you know, in, in one day I might do uh, one sentence, you know, standing on the side <laughs> of the road just out of the range of the camera, you know, with the Bill Conrad voice saying, suddenly Bullwinkle and Rocky and you know, landed on the scene. And uh, it was a strange experience. And then there was a lot of post-production in in early 2000 where we went back and re-recorded all the cartoon voices for so that there wasn't all of that um, extraneous uh, location noise. And uh, yeah, a lot so of people, that was great. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize when they do films, they do speak the dialogue while the cameras are rolling, but then mm -hmm. they go back later uh, and remove that dialogue and replace it with the same dialogue, but done in a nice, comfy, soundproof studio so you don't get all the background noises while the film is being made. Right, especially with, you know, particularly on location stuff. I mean, some studio stuff, I guess, uh, records cleanly, but uh, there's a lot of post. Uh, production i kind of knew about that because uh in the years preceding that uh some of my voiceover jobs were just strange little uh you'd go in and match a match an actor's voice because they couldn't get that actor to come back and do a do one line so i remember doing uh i remember i had to do tony curtis one time you know just do just doing one line one line in a movie, you know, things like that, strange little things that they, you have to keep selling your 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 wares and let them know that you do all of these impressions. And, and then you end up getting a weird job. I, did, I remember I had to do the American president, Lyndon B. Johnson, once for a documentary and just replace his voice in one clip because uh, the sound had been destroyed. I can't even remember what the line was, but... Uh, and then they had to kind of dirty it up to make it sound like a clip from the late 60s. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating stuff. All right. Well, now, now we've, we've given our, our listeners a lot more about you. We've, we've been talking a little bit about you here and there, but I wanted to give sure. you a chance to, to go through your whole thing here um, so that people are really aware of what it is you do. Um, okay. Right. Fibber McGee and Molly is on deck for today. You chose an yes. episode of Fibber McGee and Molly. Tell us a little bit about this one, and then we'll give it a listen. The, yes, this is uh, just a, uh, a typical episode of the uh, very long-running comedy great series Fibber McGee and Molly, which was uh, one of the all-time favorites, one of the earliest shows that became collectible because uh, I think a whole run of the discs had been stored at the Johnson's Wax Company, who were the sponsors. Well, there was they another. The there was another run of them at the Lincoln Heights Jail in Southern California because those are the ones I dealt oh, with. Oh yes, they started. Now, now with the, was that the Hollywood Museum collection? Yes, yes, it was right. Debbie Reynolds Hollywood Museum collection, and NBC, right. NBC in Hollywood didn't have as large an archive as CBS did over at KNX, but they had right. substantial runs of Great Gildersleeve, Fib McGee and Molly, and a few other shows. And uh, in the 60s, when Debbie Reynolds was putting together her Hollywood Museum that never really happened, um, they donated, NBC donated all these transcriptions to the museum that hadn't happened yet. And so they stored them in the old jail. There was an old jail funny. in Lincoln Heights, and it hadn't been used for quite a while and they had wow. actual genuine jail cells in there and all the rest of it and <laughs> somebody went in there and built shelving and they hoisted all these boxes of Fibber McGee and Molly and Great Gildersleeve and whatever up on a ladder <laughs> on these shelves wow. and when I got to go in there and deal with it I had to climb up a ladder 
grab a box which had about 50 of them in it and was atrociously heavy uh, and bring it down the ladder (laughs) and bring the the transcription discs out to transfer. And their collection of Fibromyalgia and Molly started in about 1941 and went up till about 1950 or 51, somewhere in there, and then stopped. Um, But the collection you're talking about which actually I think came out first before I got all these from the Hollywood Museum collection was Johnson's Wax had retained a huge amount of them going back to the 30s. And so there were some earlier shows and then I think they had a bunch of the later ones as well. And then they had duplication of what was at the Hollywood Museum. So between Uh, all of that... I don't think, except maybe for a few of the War Years shows when they were glass discs and got broken, discs, I yeah. don't think there's too many Fibber McGee and Molly's unaccounted for. Right, yeah. Well, it's a, it really was quite early in the game of uh, of collecting, as we know it, and uh, it you know is still one of the uh, more fondly remembered comedy series, but it had a bunch of these regular supporting actors, like a lot of these comedy shows had Jack Benny, uh, particularly with Mel Blanc, you know, as Professor LeBlanc, the violin teacher, had all of these um, regularly appearing stooge characters uh, each week. And uh, the cartoon connection for this this uh, episode of The Good Old Days of Radio is that this was the, uh, well, it was a series that uh, an actor named Bill Thompson had been appearing on in since their days in Chicago. They came to the West Coast in 1939 because of movie opportunities and stayed. But uh, this actor, Bill Thompson, uh, had a range of great uh, character voices, including the old-timer and Nick DiPopolis and um, Horatio K. Boomer, which was an imitation of W.C. Fields. And uh, he'd been fooling around with a little nebbish voice. And this particular episode that we're going to hear was the first time that the character was um, given a name and an appearance on Fibber McGee and Molly. And the character was the very well-remembered little uh, hen-picked guy, Wallace Wimple, and that eventually got him a job as a cartoon character, which probably we should discuss at the end of this. Oh, yeah. He became a very famous cartoon character, which we can discuss at the end of this, because I love those right. cartoons that he did the voices for. So let's right. let everybody just guess in the meantime, when they hear Wallace Wimple on here, uh, see what, what, what that voice reminds you of. What cartoon voice does that remind you of? <laughs> So, all right. So that's this is the first appearance of uh, Bill Thompson as Wallace Wimple. What's the air date, or original air date? This is the fifteenth of April, nineteen forty-one, and it's actually the sixth anniversary show of Fibber McGee and Molly. Okay, April fifteenth again. We had April fifteenth on the Mel Blanc show, and we have April fifteenth now on uh, Fibber McGee and Molly. We did. Do they yeah. talk about income taxes on this one? <laughs> Because they didn't like, done the Mel Blank show. I can't show. remember, possibly, with Don <laughs> Quinn. <laughs> okay. All right. From April 15th, 1941, Fibber McGee and Molly. The sixth anniversary Johnson Wax program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Let's Break the Ice. (laughs) 
The other day I read an interesting letter from a talented lady who said she and her husband always listen to Fibber McGee and Molly on Tuesday nights. Never miss it because it's her husband's favorite radio show. But he's never bought her any Johnson's wax or self-polishing glow coat. Well, that was hard for me to figure out. My wife never asks me if she can buy anything like that. But let me make just this one little point about Johnson's glow coat. Forget for a minute all the work it saves your little wife. Forget the compliments she'll get from your friends when they see those gleaming linoleum floors wearing their protective coats of glow coat polish. But think for a moment about this fact. The Johnson's glow coat makes linoleum last much longer, protects it from wear and tear. And I think you'll agree with me that not to insist upon your wife using glow coat is just bad business. Remember, glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. It's self-polishing. Buy some tomorrow. there's been quite an argument going on this last week at 79 Wistful Vista. Mrs. McGee says her husband should go see an oculist. Mr. McGee says he'll do no such thing. So, here sitting in the office of Wistful Vista's leading oculist, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, now, stop your fidgeting, McGee. The doctor will see you in just a few minutes. I don't care if he never sees me. This whole idea is silly. I don't need glasses. Oh, you don't? No. I suppose you were just kidding this morning when you yelled, Hey, I found a quarter. And then you picked up the manhole cover. (laughs) Well, shucks. There's nothing really wrong with my eyes at all. I just strained them a little looking for that comet, that's all. Well, I'm glad to hear you even admit that. Heavenly days, it's no disgrace to wear glasses. Oh, you just say that on account of Uncle Dennis. He doesn't wear glasses. Oh, no. He's worn out most of ours one way and another. (laughs) Well, you'll admit he carries it like a gentleman. Yeah. He even hiccups with a Harvard accent. (laughs) Look, Molly, you know very well my eye strain is just a temporary condition. I don't... Oblige, Doc. Sure is a load off my mind. Oh, hello there, old-timer. Been getting your eyes examined? Yep. And as the chemist says, when the dye factory blew up, I come out with flying colors. <laughs> well, what did the doctor tell you? Oh, he says I didn't have a thing to worry about, daughter. Says I'll be reading newspapers without glasses when I'm 95. Oh, oh that's swell, old-timer. I'm glad to hear it. What's the matter with your eyes? Got a twitch in one of them, Johnny. Oh. <laughs> Nervous? Not till I had my face slapped the third time. <laughs> they thought you were a masher, eh? <laughs> Well, as I always says, old-timer, the trouble with flirting is that you're generally flirting with trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. (laughs) Uh, The way I heard it, which was t'other day while I was sitting in a little booth getting my pants pressed because the garden needed some rain. It always rains when I get my pants pressed, which is why they don't have any women in the weather bureau. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but uh, the way you heard it, Oh, uh, oh yeah, one feller says to tell the feller, Say, he says. (laughs) I see where a young college feller pole vaulted more than 15 feet to a new world's record last Saturday. Ain't that wonderful? Yeah, says tell the feller, but he never could have done it without that big stick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the doctor will be seeing you in a minute, kid. Well, thanks, Mr. Oldtimer. 
You say he thought your eyes were all right, huh? Yep. Says I'll be reading newspapers without glasses when I'm 95. Ooh. On one condition. What's the condition? Gotta learn to read. So long, <laughs> kid. <laughs> I wonder how old he is, McGee. Search me, but I'd swear he wears a TP. No. <laughs> no. You mean a frappe. I do not. A frappe is a small sedan. Go on, that's a coupe. Well, then what's a TP? A TP is a wigwam. That's what I've been trying to say. To keep his wigwam, he has to wear a TP. <laughs> oh, dear. That joke was old when radio was just a funny noise from Schenectady. <laughs> oh, I wish that doctor'd hurry. Ah, oh, we're not in any hurry. Besides, that other guy's ahead of us. Who? That guy's standing over there in the corner. Hey, uh, take your hat off, mister. There's a lady present. McGee, that's a hat rack. Huh? Oh. <laughs> well, I just... <laughs> All right, Mr. McGee, you're next, I believe. Will you step in here, please? Okay, Doc. You may come, too, if you wish, Mrs. McGee. Oh, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> now, you understand, I I'm just doing this to humor my wife, Doc <laughs> My eyes are as good as they ever were uh, We'll see, we'll see We'll just give you a preliminary examination, Mr. McGee Yes, 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 yes. Uh, There's nothing to worry about <laughs> Who's worrying? I am <laughs> What about? Oh, nothing in particular, I just worry Gives me that busy professional frown, you know <laughs> It's very valuable, impresses people Yes, 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 yes <laughs> Now, first, Mr. McGee, I want you to read the chart for me X-K-M-Z-O-P-L-B-W isn't that wonderful, Doctor? It certainly is. Now I'll put up the chart and see if he can do it. <laughs> now then, Mr. McGee, uh, read the top line. Uh, the top line from the bottom? Quit stalling, McGee. Read the chart. Well, he cheated. That ain't the chart I'm familiar with. <laughs> Look, Mr. McGee, I'm afraid I'll have to relax the muscles of your eyes before I can examine them properly. Uh, they're a bit strained, you know. Oh, well, how will you do that, Doctor? We'll put drops in them. Oh. It relaxes the muscles and enlarges the pupil. Oh, yeah. His vision will be blurred for a few hours, and then I want him to come back. Say in about three hours. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute, Doc. Now? Oh, sir, I don't want to... Now, McGee? Huh? Who knows best? You or the doctor? You don't either. <laughs> Go ahead, doctor. Very well. Open your eyes wide, McGee. <laughs> Not your mouth, your eyes. That's it. Yes, 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 yes. One, two, there. Now that wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> oh, I guess I'll live through it. I ain't scared. Well, then what are you trembling? For? I'm not trembling. The doctor ought to know, dearie. You're holding his hand. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I thought that was yours, Molly. <laughs> Excuse me, Doc. <laughs> That's all right. I'll have the circulation back in that hand in no time. <laughs> Well, that's all for now, Mr. McGee. Remember, back here in three hours. Yes, 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 yes. Well, now, uh, what'll we do in the meantime? Well, we might go sit in a movie. Don't be silly. You couldn't see the picture and the dialogue wouldn't make sense. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> Who is he to criticize senseless dialogue? Eh? <laughs> but, uh, don't you worry about your eyes, Mr. McGee. There may be nothing at all wrong, you know. Nothing at all. Oh, I'm not worried, Doc. All us McGees have had good eyes, particularly the men in the family. Why, even when I was a tiny baby, people used to say, can you imagine such beautiful eyes in a mug like that? <laughs> eyes a mug and McGee, I was known as an <laughs> oh, 
Eyes of Muggin McGee, a magnificent masculine mess of muscle and mental magnitude mentioned in Milady's monthly magazines as the mighty male who managed to mesmerize most of the merry minxes of Monte Carlo and the majority of Marcel's maidens of Manhattan and many of the magnetic misses of Mississippi, Missouri, Michigan, Montana, Minneapolis, Minnesota. A merry mass of manhood with a touch of Irish up, but let's get going, Molly, or I'll believe this stuff myself. <laughs> Well, idea of yours, Molly, stopping in here for a bite to eat instead of sitting in the park. How are your eyes, dearie? Is the medicine wearing off? Oh, sure. I can see better now than I... Whoops! <laughs> What's the matter? I guess I'm kind of clumsy today. I dropped the top off the ketchup bottle and into the sugar bowl. <laughs> that was an olive, and you dropped it in the cream pitcher, and there's no ketchup on the table. <laughs> Heavenly days, it's a good thing I'm with you. Goodness knows what... Uh-oh. McGee. Huh? There's Mrs. Uppington over at that table behind the post. Mm. What's the old war horse eating? A bale of hay all grotten? Let me see. No, she's polishing off a big piece of chocolate chiffon pie. Mm. Her and her and the next time she tries to tell me about living on Melba toast and skim milk, I'll... Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Imagine meeting you here. Oh, how do you do, my dear? Good day, Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppy. Uh, Mrs. Uppington is over there, dearie. I'm Mrs. McGee. <laughs> You're looking very well for yourself, Abigail, old girl. <laughs> oh, thank you, my dear. Though I must do something about my weight. I'm simply gaining ounces, you know. <laughs> oh, cut it out, Uppy. Cut it out. You got a wonderful figure, Uppy. In fact, I never seen you look handsomer than you do today. You ain't fat. You're, you're just chubby in a cute way. Oh, <laughs> flatterer. <laughs> Besides, what have you do gain, little Abigail? I always said what this country needs is less hustle and more bustle. <laughs> and that's a mighty ducky little chapeau you're sporting today, too, Uppy. <laughs> Mr. McGee, I am not wearing a hat. Huh? Oh, I thought that was an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you're always so far ahead of the styles, I thought you had one on had on one of them new <laughs> off of the head hats. Oh, now you say such sweet things, Mr. McGee. I have a tough time doing it, though. <laughs> My head is easily turned, you know. <laughs> well, that's because your neck is so skinny, Abigail. If now, if you know, you Molly Uppy seems to have took on entirely new personality lately. You think Looking so? at her right now, she's, she kind of vibrates. She, she just glows. There's a, there's a kind of a radiance about her. Oh, no, 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 Mr. McGee, you silly boy. <laughs> oh, you never talked to me like that before. <laughs> of course he didn't. He never had an oculus put drops in his eyes before either. <laughs> oh. Poor boy. Yeah, now, doesn't it make everything look horribly distorted? Yeah, oh, oh, you mean all those nice things? You, well, I have never been so insulted. Goodbye, you, you squirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Molly, did I say something wrong? No, oh, no. But I don't think that was government inspected baloney you were dishing out. <laughs> Come on, McGee, let's go. Okay, you paid the check? Yes, I did. Oh. Can I help you with your coat, dearie? No, thanks, I got it. You got it all right. You got it inside out. Huh? Oh. <laughs> Here, let me. McGee, this isn't your coat. Huh? It isn't? Well, where is mine? I put it right on that rack there. Oh, dear, somebody must have taken yours by mistake and left this one. Huh? Look, here's the owner's name on the inside of the pocket. Wallace Wimple. Wallace Wimple, eh? Well, whoever he is, he's got a lot of moxie swiping my coat. Wait till I get my hands on that guy. He'll wish he'd never well, picked on... Well, hello there, folks. What's the matter? Hi, Gildersleeve. No, it isn't Mr. Gildersleeve, huh? dearie. That's Mr. Wilcox. Oh. He's being examined for glasses, Mr. Wilcox, and he's got drops in his eyes. Hey, Harlow, somebody swiped my overcoat and left this one instead. Well, you're lucky. That's a good-looking coat. Well, now, we'll have to find the owner. Uh, do you know a Mr. Wallace Wimple, Mr. Wilcox? Wimple. Wimple. Not Wallace Wimple. Yeah, you know him? Me know Wallace Wimple? Oh, boy, we're in luck. <laughs> Why, say, when I first started working for Johnson's Wax, before I even knew what a wonderful thing Johnson's Wax was for beautifying and protecting floors and furniture and woodwork against dust and dirt and dampness, mm. before I even found out what a blessing Johnson's Wax was for particular housewives, mm. and that was... Well, let's see, we've been on the air for Johnson's Wax six years today, mm -hmm. and I worked for them four years before that. That's ten years. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir, ten years. And in all that time, I've never known anybody by the name of Wallace Wimple. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Why, it's unbelievable. Wilcox is your real name, O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan? No, why? Well, I just wondered. You can find more heels to drag a sales talk in by than anybody. Oh, uh, <clears throat> don't say that, pal. You're not a heel. <laughs> you're a very nice little guy. Of course, you're not too bright and you talk too much, but outside of that... McGee, stop swinging at Mr. Wilcox. Wait till you can see better. <laughs> oh, that's okay, Molly. He was just kidding. Yeah. And so was I. We can't spoil our sixth anniversary together by fighting... Look, Fibber, why don't you keep this coat and just call it good luck? Because I'm too honest and it don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Molly, we gotta go find Wimple. Oh, why didn't somebody tell me my shirt tail was sticking out? Uh, oh, but look Fibber, out, that... Jerry, look out! Who threw that? What the... What we the... tried to tell you that wasn't your shirt tail, that was the tablecloth. Oh, sure. <laughs> Thank you.
The King's Men sing, Let's Get Away From It All. Gotta go to work on the 815. Oh, every day I struggle through the same routine. Oh, every night I go to bed and then get up and start all over again. Let's take a boat to Bermuda. Let's take a plane to St. Paul. Let's ride a kayak to Quincy or Nyack. Let's get away from it all. Let's take a trip in a trailer. No need to come back at all. Let's take a powder to Boston for chowder. Let's get away from it all. We're gonna fly away. We're gonna fly away. We're gonna shut the door and lock the gate and let the bill collectors wait. Hurry out and celebrate before we get too old to make it. Take a boat to Honolulu. We'll take a clipper over China's wall. We'll drop a line to Uncle Willie from a steamer bound for Chile. Let's get away from it, away from it all. Buy a ticket down to Rio, or you can take along your Spanish shawl. We'll take a passage on a freighter just across the old equator. Let's get away from it all. We'll look up all your aunts and all your uncles and your cousins, and we'll camp right at their door. They may go broke, but holy smoke, we'll never worry anymore. They'll never miss me at the office. I'm never going back there at all. We'll never be at home when the butcher and the baker and the tailor and the landlord call. We're gonna leave them flat, so baby, grab your hat. Let's get away from it. Let's get away from it all. I wish we knew who this Wallace Wimple was. Did you ask the manager of the gas company? Yes, and the light company and the water company. Maybe we should hire a private detective. I'm gonna do something. I, I wish my eyes would clear up. As it is, I wouldn't know this Wallace Wimple if I saw him. <laughs> Ouch, that ratted bud. What's the idea of jabbing me with that cigar? Who do you think you oh, are to now, say? now, McGee. He I'll didn't... teach him to stand around in front of cigar stores and bump into people. I got a good notion to slap you down, bud. What do you think of that? Well, ain't you got anything to say? Indians don't talk much, McGee. <laughs> Is he an Indian? Yes, and a wooden one at that. Huh? Oh. <laughs> ah, excuse me, Chief. <laughs> I guess I was off the reservation. Hi, mister. Oh, hi there, little girl. I can't see you very good, but I recognize your voice. I got some stuff in my eyes, and I don't see very well for a while yet, a while. Why? Well, they do that so they can examine your eyes better What's the matter with them, mister? You got astigmatism? Got what, sis? Astigmatism Shucks, sis We could have had a cute routine if you'd only mispronounced that <laughs> I'm not But it would have been kind of corny, I bet you <laughs> Well, maybe it would And seeing that this is our sixth anniversary for Johnson's Wax Maybe we better go easy on the corn On the what? Corn I'm hungry. <laughs> What's the matter with you, sis? You a food hoarder? You save it for a friend? No, no, but I gotta feed my puppy and my kitty and a, and a turkle. And last Sunday, my papa gave me Easter bunny. Oh, he did, huh? Hmm? I says he did, huh? 
He did what? Your father gave you an Easter bunny. Gee, did he? That rabbit, you said he did. I know it. Well, then what... Now, look, sis. Did you ever hear of a guy named Wallace Wimple? Sure. When? Just now. Mm. <laughs> why, Jess? Because I got to find him, that's why. And say, by the way, if you ever hear of anyone named Wallace Wimple, come and tell me, will you? And I'll give you a nickel. It's worth 10 cents, I bet you. Oh. Okay, 10 cents. You mean, you mean you'll give me 10 cents if I tell you how to find him, hmm, do you, hmm, please? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Give me the dime. You know how I can find him? Sure I do, I bet. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay, here's 10 cents. What do I do? Look in the telephone book. So <laughs> I never thought of that. Hey, Molly, lead me to the nearest phone booth, will you? All right, dearie. I don't know how we overlook such an obvious idea. Well, sometimes the things right under your nose are the hardest to see, as the high school kid says when he tries to raise a mustache. <laughs> hey, Molly. What? Does drops in your eyes affect your other muscles? I'm developing an awful limp. Oh, it isn't serious, dearie. You're walking with one foot in the gutter. Huh? <laughs> Let's go down to Kramer's drugstore and see if we well, can Well, well, well. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Fibber. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Is that you, Throcky? <laughs> well, what's the matter with you, little chum? What are they leading you around for? Oh, don't drip so much, you big drip. <laughs> you make me sick with all McGee's that. McGee's been to the oculus, Mr. Gildersleeve, and he's got drops in his eyes. Mm. Not that it bothers me at the moment, Gildersleeve. You always did look like a big blur to me anyway. <laughs> Is that so? Yes, that's Why, so. you astigmatic little biological error? For two cents, I'd pop you one right on that little receding chin of yours. And if you haven't got two cents, you can open an account with me. Oh, yeah. Drops in the eyes or no drops in the eyes, Gildersleeve? I could handle you with one hand tied behind me and juggling three Japanese with my feet. <laughs> You couldn't juggle the accounts in a piggy bank, you little vacuum. Gildersleeve? Oh, yes? here, here, here. For goodness sakes, boys, stop it. Uh, Don't you realize this is our sixth anniversary for Johnson's Wax? Well. Let's all be friends at least for one day. Well, all right. For one day. <laughs> one day it is, Gildersleeve. But what are you doing tomorrow? Nothing. Okay. Suppose I meet you in back of the firehouse and slap a few of your cheap gold fillings down your noisy epiglottis. You're a hard man, McGee. <laughs> but by George! Hey, Throcky. What is it, chum? You know a guy named Wallace Wimple? Wallace Wimple. Wallace Wimple. Oh, Wallace Wimple. Why, certainly. Oh, An old college chum of mine. Oh. Yes. He used to sleep in the next seat of me in chapel. <laughs> For goodness sakes. Well, where does he live, Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, wait a minute. I have it right down here in my address book. Wimple. W-W-W. Here's Wilma. Wilma, huh? Uh, Wilma's a horse. <laughs> She's running in the derby this year. <laughs> uh, W-W. Ah, here it is. Wally Wimple. 1345 Oak Street. And when you see him... Okay. Taxi, taxi. Okay, Molly. Let's go. Come on, McGee. Come on, get in quick. No, no, in the back seat, dearie. Oh. That's it. Thank you.
Mr. Gildersleeve. Now, wait a minute, folks. What's this all about? I might be... Oh, go tat a tip at you, big mug. I'll see you tomorrow behind the firehouse. Oh! <laughs> Forty-five Oak Street, driver, and step on it now. Step on it. Come on, Molly. Here we are. Watch the step, dearie. Here, take hold of my hand. Now, you let me handle this, Molly. This guy may be a professional crook, and I might have to get tough with him. Well, what if he's a big bruiser? Well, I, uh... Yes? Hi, bud. You Wallace Wimple? Yes, I am. Is he a big guy, Molly? No, he's just a little guy, McGee. Yes, eh? Now you look here, Wimple. You got a lot of nerve swiping my coat out of that restaurant. I got a notion to kick you around and teach you respect for other people's property. What? People's pro What's the idea of taking my coat? Well, bless my soul, I didn't even know I had taken the wrong one. Well, uh... Is this your coat, Mr. Wimple? Oh, it certainly is, and thank you so much for returning it. Is that all you got to say, Wimple? Ain't you going to apologize? Yes, I, I certainly am. It was a very ridiculous mistake. But at the time, I couldn't tell one coat from another. Well, why not? Well, I went to an oculist this morning, and he put some drops in my eyes. Isn't that silly? <laughs> Bibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. Have you heard about the special bargain offer that many Johnson dealers are now making? It's one you'll not want to miss, so listen carefully. For a limited time, many dealers are now giving a long-handled glow coat applier free with a quart of Johnson self-polishing glow coat at the regular price of 98 cents. You'll find this applier very handy. It's washable, may be used over and over again, and it makes the application of glow coat amazingly simple. And speaking of saving, Glow Coat, of course, is a famous labor saver. It's the number one easy-to-use floor polish wherever you go. It needs no rubbing or buffing. You just apply and let dry, and in 20 minutes, your floor gleams with a rich, long-lasting polish. Glow Coat keeps the colors of linoleum fresh and bright, makes the linoleum itself last much longer. See your dealer right away while this money-saving offer is still available. Ask for this long-handled applier free with one quart of Johnson's Glow Coat at the regular price of 98 cents. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's program marks the beginning of our seventh year on the air for Johnson's Wax. And the people in both Racine and Wistful Vista want to thank you all for your loyalty and friendship. That's right. If it hadn't been for you folks, why we would... Telegram, telegram for Fimmer McGee and Molly. I'll take it, Wallace. <laughs> Thanks. Let me read it, dearie. Remember your eyes. Mm, oh. oh, how nice. Listen, McGee. Yeah? Congratulations to Fibber McGee and Molly on their sixth anniversary. Oh. You have done a wonderful job, and we hope your sponsor appreciates you as much as we do. <laughs> we hope they sign you up for another six years. <laughs> That'll be 89 cents, please. It's collect. <laughs> it is not collect. I paid for that telephone. Good night Good night, all This is Harlow Wilcox Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax And Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat Inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night Good night
Special announcement about Johnson's newest product, the amazing enamel that actually contains wax. Johnson's Wax Enamel, it's called, and you've never seen an enamel like it before. Take a piece of furniture that's old and shabby, brush on a coat of wax enamel in any one of 19 smart colors, and behold, the smoothest finish and most exquisite luster you ever saw. You'll be proud of your decorating efforts with this new kind of enamel because wax enamel dries with a smoother, more colorful finish, with a satiny wax luster instead of a harsh glare. Besides, and this is important, the wax in wax enamel gives it extra protection against wear, makes it easy to keep clean. Your dealer will give you a wax enamel color chart free. Ask for one tomorrow. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Okay, Fibbermingi and Molly, April 15th, 1941, uh, the 7th or 6th anniversary show, special appearance for the very first time by Wallace Wimple. Okay, did Wallace Wimple sound familiar? What cartoon voice were you listening to, Keith Scott? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, even though that, that earliest uh, of Wallace Wimple appearances, uh, the voice still wasn't 100% the, the character that we know because he didn't have that... Uh, thing where he really stressed the letter B, you know, the famous clip that uh, was on the old uh, compilation record where he, he talked about his bird book, you know. Yeah, bird <laughs> but, book uh, and also sweetie face, my big old wife, which yeah, he didn't refer to, or didn't refer to in this one either. So he grew the character over the years and made oh, it yeah. made it much better than it is here. It's fine here, but he made it much better. Yeah, and I think they could tell uh, from the reaction of the audience that it was going to be a regular character because uh, there were so many possibilities for this little henpecked nebbish. But uh, yes, uh, so it became popular over the next 12 months to uh, a huge degree and ended up in a couple of movies. Uh, he was on camera um, playing Wallace Wimple in at least one of them. And um, the great uh, cartoon director Tex Avery uh, approached him when he had moved to the MGM cartoon studio and that voice wasn't allowed to be used contractually so he had to kind of do a variation on it but it became the voice of the famous cartoon basset hound Droopy. Droopy! And, uh, <laughs> yep, Droopy uh, and, and he just gave it a slower delivery but it was exactly the same voice uh, he just, you know, didn't, he wasn't allowed to make it a henpecked character or anything that was similar to Wallace Wimple. For, I guess Johnson's Wax was pretty protective of their uh, range of uh, successful characters. But, uh, yeah, so Droopy ended up uh, just looking straight to camera and talking very sadly and slowly, like a, a very depressed character saying, Hello, are you happy taxpayers? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Things like that. Yep, yep. Droopy is uh, one of our family's favorite old-time cartoons. Whenever we have a movie night and we play a cartoon, a short, and then a feature, the cartoon is usually a Droopy. Or the uh, other favorite great. in the family is Flip the Frog, but that's much earlier. Yes. Well, they're, they're just about to release a, um, a completely restored set of Flip the Frog. Well, are they really? Because I've heard that it's been finished for a while, and apparently the... 
granddaughter of Ub Iwerks or some somebody related to that uh, uh-huh. uh, that that conglomeration of people that created Flip the Frog is supposed to do the commentary for the release and they haven't been able to nail it down and it's been over a year. So, yes, it's been held up. Yeah, but <laughs> that something, I didn't realize there, it was to do with that. Yeah, there, there's something with Ub Iwerks' um, daughter, or it must be granddaughter Ooh. at this point. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. We can really yeah. digress here because people are going to be listening to this going, "What the heck is Flip the Frog?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> Flip the Frog was a, a cartoon created by Ub Iwerks. Ub Iwerks was a employee of Disney. And the rumor has it that Ub Iwerks actually created Mickey Mouse, and Walt Disney did not. Um, well, he did all the work on it. He was the <laughs> he was the um, much better artist, which Disney did acknowledge. Right, um, but he got rid of Ub Iwerks pretty quick, and Iwerks had to go yeah. off and develop another character besides Mickey Mouse, which became Flip the Frog poster right, poster right. on my wall to my left. Uh, Anyway, well, they 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 were the earliest <clears throat> in that early depression era of those black and white cartoons, the Flip the Frog, along with the uh, Bosco character at Warner Brothers, and uh, a lot of the voices uh, in those very early cartoons were mostly done by singers. The quartet that we just heard on the Fibber McGee and Molly show, the King's Men, sang all these great novelty songs every week. They did a lot of the voices in in the earliest three years of sound cartoons in in uh, on the West Coast. Yes, that is correct. And that brings me to something. We just heard Fear McGee and Molly. There was a joke early on in the show, which I am 1 million percent positive went over everyone listening to this's head, except maybe you. What, I'll ask you this, Keith, because you, you might know this. What was Fibber referring to when he kept saying, Isa Muggin? Now, you've got me there. That, <laughs> that I... I... I assumed was an American uh, colloquialism that uh, we didn't get. <laughs> well, sort of. What it was was a song. It's a song uh-huh. title. The song was Isa Muggin. It was written by Stuff Smith and Django Reinhardt. And it right. was very popular in that month there. It didn't last long, but it was very popular right around the time of the show. And so uh, Jim Jordan, who played Fibber McGee, threw that in there as a, kind of like a, an inside joke to the audience, but uh, it's totally lost on everybody now. The only reason I know is because that's the kind of thing I know from my other hobbies. Yes. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway. No, I think it's it's great that you, that you do know that because uh, I love uh, solving things like that. Yeah, well, he made it very clear. He repeated it several times, and he even said Isa Muggin McGee at the end to, to emphasize yes. it one more time. Um, but yeah, that's what he was referring to, was a, a popular, semi-popular song of the day. Jim Jordan, did you ever meet him? Only at uh, the, um, I think it was this, the 20th anniversary PPB breakfast. Okay, so you did meet him. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I spent some time with Jim Jordan um, when he would come down to Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters and at the luncheons and different things. He was there for some of the nostalgia nights and all that. He also hung around Spurdvac quite a bit. So right. he had a wicked sense of humor. Very, very wicked and sometimes very, very off color. Um, but he <laughs> did it as Fibber McGee and if you didn't notice the little twinkle in his eye when he said it and pay careful attention to what he was saying, you could miss some very strange jokes that he would, yes. <laughs> very strange things he would do. 
also Ken Darby, who was the uh, the head Kingsman of the Kingsmen, yes. yeah, would also yeah he would also be around at a lot of these things. And Phil Leslie, who was the chief writer for the Fibber McGee and Molly show. Um, it was really fun to see Phil Leslie and Jim Jordan together because Jim uh, would make these sly little kind of double entendre remarks, and then <laughs> Phil Leslie would turn them into more, shall we say, clean remarks, and they were almost as if they were creating a script as they were talking back and forth. Uh, it, I it, wish I'd been in on one of them. I yeah, really it, was, it was really fascinating to watch the two of them work. Um, Jim Jordan later in life also appeared, I think he's on an episode of Sanford and Son. Are you familiar with that? He, yes, he did. He was in that. And I think, it, uh, and also I think, <clears throat> was he in Chico and the Man? Yes, I believe he was there too. And he was the voice, one of the voices in the Disney cartoon, The Rescuers in 1972. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, and, right. and he lived to quite an old age, and he spent a lot of time um, being involved with the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters Organization, and he, it was really a, right. a, a fun person to be around. You never knew what he was going to say, and sometimes you were kind of shocked at what he would say. But anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that's Jim Jordan, so glad you got a, a chance to meet him. Um, yeah. I actually fi- found him <clears throat> funnier in person than I did on the Fibrigan and Molly show, but that's a whole different Yes, yeah. I think he thing. just had a love of it, and I think he had a love of words too, which is, yes. uh, I think, why he loved doing all those tongue twisters in each each uh, show. You know, yeah, he would do those uh, <laughs> privately too, with some very choice language. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. Well, we don't need to digress in too much of that. Uh, all right. Well, there, that was Fibber McGee and Molly. That was. Uh, you want to say anything more about the cast? I noticed Gildersleeve was in there, Hal Perry. Yes, just the few months before he spun off uh, as historically, I think, the first ever spin-off in showbiz history and uh, became much more of a comedy-drama type show in a very long-running show, The Great Gildersleeve, another hugely popular one amongst certain collectors, you know, who, uh, who are just Gildersleeve fanatics. Yeah, there's um, a lot of those available, too. You can really get oh, yeah. lost in that yeah. show. That's right. But uh, yeah, he also did a couple of cartoons. And then that same year, they also uh, became on a, a regular on in 1941 was Arthur Q. Bryan, who played Floyd the Barber. And of course, he was famous in cartoons uh, in that same period as radio uh, for being the voice of Elmer Fudd in the in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yes, yes. Elmer Elmer Fudd on Fibber McGee and Molly. Yes, except he didn't use the Elmer no, Fudd voice. No, he, he didn't. Was, but it was, was really more his, his straight Arthur Q. Bryan voice for right, Floyd. Right, right. Um, Mrs. Uppington, who was that? That was a, a lady called Isabel Randolph, and she um, just played that society character, you know, once a week. And it's uh, funny, the way Quinn wrote these very quick little in-and-out sketches, you didn't really tire of them, even though you knew their shtick after a while. But she was kind of doing a, a Margaret Dumont-type character. Yes, exactly. Yes. Very much a, a dizzy society woman. By, by the way, Ken Darby, the, the lead singer of The Kingsmen, his daughter, Kim Darby, is most famous for her role opposite John Wayne in True Grit. Oh, yes, True Grit, with uh, with Glenn Campbell's uh, motion picture debut as well. Yes, uh, and I yeah. believe Kim Darby is still around. I think. Yes, yeah. So, 
But uh, no, uh, Ken Ken Darby uh, actually um, was a great bass singer and uh, formed the 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 group the Kingsmen back in the I guess nineteen thirty when they were at KFWB in in Hollywood, the, the Warner Brothers owned radio station, and then uh, he he went on to uh, become a choral arranger for uh, throughout the nineteen forties for Twentieth Century Fox and Walt Disney Productions, and uh, he knew every singer in town, and and often the the choruses that you would hear in in movie uh, production numbers were arranged by Ken Darby vocally. Yeah, he has his name on, I think, hundreds of Hollywood films. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and he even coached Elvis Presley in his first film, Love yes, Me Tender. Yes, he did. He, he coached yeah. Elvis, I think, a, a few times. I remember going into his home, and he had this giant poster of Elvis, Love Me Tender, the movie poster, but he had a giant <laughs> poster on the wall. He was very proud of his uh, work with Elvis, right. even though he comes from a much more traditional, non-rock-and-roll-type background. Yeah, that's that's right, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think he was classically trained by his mother when he was a kid, and then uh, just had a flair, you know, for uh, vocal arrangements. Well, good. We are, uh, in case I forgot to say this, we are speaking with Keith Scott, the man of a thousand voices from Australia, and also the author of the book Cartoon Voices of the Golden Age, 1930 to 1970, where he breaks down all these great cartoon voices and relates them to radio and gives you uh, faces, photographs to go along with it. And this this book is available from Bear Manor Publications, bearmanorbooks.com, and Amazon. So if you have uh, interest in all this and want to know all these lovely little details like we're sharing back and forth here today, with <laughs> we're kind of going really in the weeds with trivia here today, but some oh, people, yes, some yes. people like this. So I, I think it's a, a different thing that we do here on the good old days of radio show simply because I was exposed to all of this, living in Southern California, going to all these events with all these vintage radio people. Uh, you were exposed to it in a similar manner. And so we have all this trivial knowledge running around in our brains. And I guess we're one of the few people on earth that do, that are still around. <laughs> so we're spewing it out all over the world now again on this podcast. Well, a lot of, a lot of people who, who uh, don't know all of this stuff um, actually have expressed that they're, they're grateful to learn some connection. It's something that they were always wondering about some little thing when they hear a radio show. So I, I don't think people find it too uh, intrusive, you know, all of this uh, this factual stuff that we're, or minutiae that we're talking about. <laughs> no, we, we go into the weeds, but I think we do it in a yeah. way that people can relate to because we're talking about not only the old stuff that they would have little or no knowledge of, but we're also bringing it into things like Captain Crunch and uh, Rocky and oh, yeah, Bullwinkle yeah. and uh, cartoons that, that most people who are in their, say, 40s on up grew up watching yeah. on television. Uh, and so we, yeah. can, we, can, we can relate it to it that way and still not lose them. <laughs> when we start talking about this stuff. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Keith Scott, thank you for appearing on the Good Old Days of Radio show again uh, this week. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with some more weird, strange stuff, and then back next Tuesday with you again for another yes. show. What do we have for next Tuesday to tease uh, here a bit? We've got coming up another comedy great uh, series. Um, <clears throat> in fact, uh, some people's favorite comedy show from all-time radio that holds up well today 
it's the Phil Harris Alice Faye show and there's a lot of cartoon actors in well especially in the episode that uh, we've chosen yeah and with Phil Harris Alice Faye it's interesting because most young people have no idea who Phil Harris and Alice Faye were yeah. no yeah, clue right. whatsoever and yet if you sit them down and put one of these on, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we do Phil Harris and Alice Faye next Tuesday. They love it. It's so timeless. Mm-hmm. The, the writing on that show is like class A, and it just oh, yeah. it just really grabs people even now. Uh, so they may not know who Phil Harris and Alice Faye were or why they were important back then, but they sure love the show now. So. All well, right. We'll educate them next time. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Back next week with Phil Harris, Alice Faye, and Keith Scott, the man of a thousand voices from down under in beautiful Australia. This is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show saying, see you next time.